Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher with over 15 years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. Once you listen to today's episode, visit my website at barebonesyoga.com for free resource guides for teachers. Download any and all of them, including one of my most popular tools, my sequence building template. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into today's episode. Hi guys, Karen Fabian here, founder of Bare Bones Yoga, and you are listening to my podcast or getting ready to listen to this latest episode of my podcast called Conversations for Yoga Teachers. So first of all, thank you so, so much for listening. And today you're in store for, or what's in store for you is a really special episode. I am interviewing a friend of mine and a contact that I've had um, here in the Boston area. I've known him for many, many years. And uh, he uh, has a lot to share uh, of interest. The topics are really gonna flow in this one. And one of the things I love about it is we're gonna get into some different topics outside of some of the things I normally talk to you all about, namely yoga and anatomy and techniques for teaching. I know for some of you who are longtime listeners of the podcast, you know that I occasionally have people on who are in different areas of health and wellness and and fitness and, and even mindset coaching and things like that. And John is no different. So you're going to meet John Levitt in a few minutes here. And this is actually both a video and audio podcast. So for those of you listening, if you want to see John and really see the conversation we're having, you can just log into my YouTube channel and you can watch this episode uh, as well as just listen to it if you're out walking your dog or, or doing whatever consuming the podcast through audio only. So you're going to hear from John. We dive right into the conversation, which I love to just keep these things spontaneous. Just to give you a little backdrop, John works for a company called Inside Tracker, and he's going to go into a lot of detail about what the uh, company is about, what their mission is, and what their offering is. But first, we talk with him about his passion for endurance training, his passion for competition, and really pushing himself uh, from a training level to the edge and, and what he learns in doing that. And there's so many themes that you're going to hear in this conversation that we can pull from, draw from, that can serve us not only as yoga practitioners, lovers of the yoga practice, um, but also yoga teachers. And there's a lot of things we talk about that are relevant to just this idea of understanding anatomy, which tends to be a subject that teachers look at as a hard subject. And so we do a lot of conversation about what does it mean to do hard things and what do you gain by tackling them and what's a way that you can reframe your attitude and mindset around doing something that's challenging so that you can not only 
achieve it, but you can do it in a way that keeps it light and fun. And even if it's not fun, you're still able to push through it to achieve that goal. So I really think this conversation with John Levitt from Inside Tracker is going to be one that you really enjoy. In the latter part of the episode, we actually go into um, the company itself. So you'll get all you need to know in terms of how to connect with them. I met him just to wrap up before we go to that interview several years ago in Boston. In fact, I used to have a talk show on local Boston TV here, and I interviewed uh, Gil Blander, who is one of the founders of Inside Tracker. And so that's how John and I initially connected. Um, and you'll hear he's not in the Boston area anymore. He's out in Colorado, and you'll hear all about that. So before we go over to that episode, I just want to let you know I'm recording this episode on Wednesday, August 4th, 2021. And for those of you listening and consuming this content in this week, I want you to make sure that you hop over to my website and uh, take a look at some of the free resources on there. Because if something interests you and you download it, you'll automatically be put on my VIP mailing list. And I'm in the process this week of making a very special offer to anyone on my mailing list that has to do with working with yoga teachers to really help them achieve the goals that they have, not only for this year, but this year and beyond. And it's a never before thing that I've offered. Uh, I've never offered this kind of program before. And I'm only going to be talking to people on my mailing list about it. So if you're at all interested in finding out more about this, just download something, a free resource I have that'll put you on the mailing list and then you'll be in the loop this week. Of course, if you're listening to this podcast after this week, no worries. Um, and there'll be plenty of other opportunities for you to connect with um, some of the programs and offerings I have to help teachers grow and learn. So let's go into that episode now. I really hope you love not, uh, hearing this. Uh, I certainly loved sharing, love sharing it with you and love the conversation I had with John. So let's go to that tape now. Namaste. Hello. Hey, how's it going? How are you? Doing well. Nice to see you. I just uh, went downstairs to get my hydration. Perfect. You don't want to be recording a podcast and potentially start. Yeah, start. So where are you coming from? You're in Denver, you said? Um, I'm in Boulder. In Boulder. Okay. Yeah, yeah. How's that? Yep. Uh, it's awesome. I moved, so I moved out here. I spent the winter in Breckenridge and I moved out here to Boulder in April. So I've been, been loving it. That's great. Um, what brought you out there? Did you just, just a change, just, just a needed, change. A, needed a change. I've always wanted to live in Colorado. And yeah. so the, um, two months in Breckenridge was intending to be temporary. Um, and I just fell in love with the place and, uh, our, team was like you should move there so I did awesome do you miss Boston at all I miss my friends in Boston but um, yeah. I just love it out here I'm coming back uh, next week for two weeks um, and I'll be back basically every two months for a week or so right so I'll have my time yeah 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 that's fantastic um is there still snow out there okay not in Boulder but um when you go up higher there is yeah, I was listening to Rich Roll's podcast and he was talking to, um, I forget her name. She's one of the endurance athletes and she lives or she was in, it was in June and she was talking about snow still being in Denver in June. And he was like, oh my God, 
So, yeah, I could yeah, see as, as you get higher up, um, like I saw snow last weekend. Yeah, um, there you go. You got to be, you got to be above, above 10,000 or 12,000 feet to see it at this yeah, point. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I, like I said in my email, I kind of had a vision the other day of connecting with you. You know, of course, my podcast here is for yoga teachers. That's the niche. But I love to have people on who actually don't have anything to do with yoga specifically, but who have kind of overarching health and wellness um, uh, interests. And, you know, maybe like yourself, it's something they focus on for a living and also as they live. And so when I was thinking of talking with you, you know, I didn't actually run this by you beforehand. So you can say, no, don't do that. But I was thinking I'd love to start out because I know you personally are so ensconced in kind of the endurance athlete uh, lifestyle. And I would love to ask you some questions about that before we talk about inside tracker. Yeah. I, I actually think that would be of interest. I mean, I don't think of yoga as an endurance sport, of course, but there are um, definite aspects to yoga practice that have to do with being in a mental state that um, is beyond kind of just being reactive. And I think that that, I mean, I've run marathons and half marathons. That's been the extent of my endurance experience, Mm -hmm. but I know that in those experiences, I have hit several walls and I needed to kind of push through that. So I think that's an interesting aspect that to a certain extent, yoga and endurance training and, and performance share. So let's, let's start there. I jotted down a few questions and, and we can just kind of organically go from here. So maybe a good place to start just to kind of frame the conversation for someone listening is just tell us a little bit about you. Now we know, of course, where you physically are located, but just generally tell us about you and, and what you do. So I am someone who loves the process of getting better. I love helping other people experience this um, and I love doing it myself. And so the way I sort of manifest that is through my own personal running, my podcast where I explore the why and where motivation comes from, and then what I get to do through work, which is help people understand how to eat and fuel and live better through this personalized approach. So I spend a lot of time outside. I like to run, bike, uh, hike. Um, I'll dabble in swimming, um, but I wouldn't call myself a triathlete by any long shot, um, nor do I have any aspirations of that. Um, And I'm just out here in Colorado exploring nature and what life is like at 5,000 feet and above um, and all of the adventures that come with a landscape that um, is so fascinating. Yeah. And I love the way you frame that, this idea of helping people do things better. Um, I guess one thing just to put a pin in this is what's the name of your podcast for people who are listening. So my podcast is called for the long run, and it's aimed at exploring the why of what helps of what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. So it's all about, so it's, it's I'm 170 something episodes in and 90% of those are with professional or elite athletes exploring, not talk to me about winning a gold medal, but talking about the process of like, why are you here? How did you get here? And what's look forward and what does that look like? And how are you going to get there? So it's very much like a, 
diving into the process versus talking about the outcomes. So you must be really like I am in just consuming the Olympics 24 seven right now. I've been doing so much outside <laughs> lately that I haven't spent time inside. Uh, like I was out in Colorado pacing a friend in a hundred mile race. And like, we were busy for three days straight. Um, so I've, and, and now I'm just like recovering from that, but um, I'm attending a retreat here in Boulder this weekend. And a couple of the events are, you know, watching the men's and women's marathon. So we'll definitely be tuned into to those two races um, and, and following along on, on Twitter and um, however else I can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and certainly when you, I mean, when you're hearing the stories of the athletes, similar to probably what you're hearing on your podcast, their whys can be so different and their background can be so different and you're seeing the end result, but there's right. so much more behind the scenes as to what got them there. Um, and, and I just find that so endlessly fascinating in addition to just marveling at the physical feat that they're achieving. Totally. totally. Yeah. Um, okay. So why don't you share a little bit about what you're actually doing? I mean, my, my memories of you involve like all these tweets about these crazy <laughs> things that you're currently involved in. And so that's kind of, I've kind of left Twitter as of about six months ago, just because it got really dark and gloomy for me. Um, and the real time sucks. So I haven't been on there in about six months, but for years I was. And I remember your tweets would come up a lot in my feed because we corresponded every once in a while. And there was always like a chuckle I would have. He's like, oh, he's running this race or he's out in the mud. So tell us a little bit about what you do for endurance. Yeah. So my <laughs> current training goal I was running a track workout a few weeks ago and somebody asked, what are you training for? And I just said life. I was like in between reps and that was my answer, but it's true. It's like my goal this summer has been to train to the point that I can say yes to whatever somebody, whatever I want to do, basically, whether it's five miles, 10 miles, 20 miles, 30 miles, whatever it is. Um, so I was just out in Ure, Colorado, pacing a friend in a hundred mile race and I went into last week not knowing if I would be running 10 miles or more than 30 with her. But I knew that I had the legs under me to do such a thing because of how I've been training, putting up like 30 to 32 mile weekends uh, in addition to like the weekday volume. Um, so officially, I'm training for Boston and CIM. Um, my marathon PR is 259. And my goal at Boston is to run with a friend in the 255 ranges. It's ridiculous to call it this, but like a fun run, not, not like an exhaustive race effort. Um, and then I want to break 245. I want to break 250, yeah. but yeah, my coach says break 245 at CIM in December. So very much trail focused trail long runs and such in the summer. And then I'll shift to like more proper road training, road racing in the fall um, with Falmouth Road Race coming up in two weeks. I've done that. I love that. Yeah, that's going to be a fun one. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping the altitude helps me with the humidity, but we'll see. Um, but really just trying to stay consistent and then adding a couple of days of biking 
in there on top of it. And I just found out that there's a pool like a quarter mile from my, like a lap pool, a quarter mile from my place. Um, so I'm going to jump in there for, you know, 20 minute swims yeah. um, to help as well. Yeah. So would you say that running is your primary? Yeah. Yeah. Now, of course, as a yoga teacher, I have to ask you, I'm compelled to ask you what you're doing on the stretching side of things or the myofascial release side of things. Does that work into your, your it should, it should, I don't do nearly enough. I feel like the yoga confessional that people always yeah. confess to me. I mean, I, I go and get a fair amount of body work done um, from Cairo and massage, that kind of stuff. That kind of checks the box sort of. Yeah, but I don't do it enough. Um, I get a massage like once a month, maybe. And, um, I just saw a chiropractor for the first time out here in Colorado, but back in Boston, I was going to Brian Kent like every other week. Yeah. Um, Where is he? I recognize his name. He's in Boston. Um, right on. No, no, uh, where though? He's on Comav. Okay. Is he part of a, is he independent or is he part of a practice? Um, so he started his own practice forward spine and sport. Okay. All right. I'll look him up. Cause I'm kind of in the market for yeah. some good. He is, he is great. Um, but yeah, I, I don't do I do like a pretty basic, um, band routine. Um, and when I remember I do like a Myrtle hip, hip activation, hip and glute type routine um, oh, I'm but not, definitely i'm definitely not familiar not with that term myrtle what does that refer to i think it's the guy's name who created oh, yeah? it um but i i don't i don't know exactly but it's like a five minute um hip opener and extension cool. and that kind of thing cool so i don't know like i've been running for i don't want to say all my life but when i think about like that track around the river i've probably run that for 35 years at this point, since I was going to Boston university a long time ago. Um, and I don't even know that I could ever articulate this, but I just wonder for you, like, what is it about running that you love so much? So it allows me to do the things that I love, like be with people and do cool stuff with people. So you can't like have these epic adventures unless you train for them. Um, I guess you can, but then they suck. (laughs) Um, (laughs) or suck more. Yeah. Um, but I just, again, I love the process of getting better and like retrospection and looking at like what used to be hard is now normal or easy. Yeah. And like, if you told me that I'm, if you told me five years ago that I was chasing a 245 marathon, I would have said, you're nuts. And yeah. like, you're not talking about me at yeah. the time I was like 325 or something like that. Um, and so I just love that experience of like, it, it applies to anything, right? The, the secret to anything is consistency. The yeah. only way to get better at anything is to be consistent. I work in sales. We, we're not going to hit our sales goal in one day. Yeah. The only way we hit our sales goal is if we, if we do something well every single day. It doesn't yeah. have to be spectacular every single day. You just mm-hmm. need to show up every single day and get the job done. The same yeah. thing with running, same thing with relationships, same thing with like, everything in life it's like you don't have to be great you just have to be good consistently yeah and so I love I love that that like it's been a shift like my workout today wasn't great it was good but it wasn't great I've had a lot of great workouts lately um but I don't know I wrecked my body this weekend uh pacing my friend in this race 
and my legs were still feeling it, but I still did the work and I still got it done. And at the end of the day, you know, another 11 miles in the bank with, right. with some speed work. Um, and previously I would have been like bummed that, oh, I went so slow. Oh, my, you know, my 5k effort was slower than my 10k effort two weeks ago. Like mm -hmm. who cares? Um, so yeah, do, doing the work allows you to meet these amazing people on these epic adventures. Like two years ago, I ran rim to rim to rim in the Grand Canyon. So South Rim, North wow. Rim, South Rim. And that was a 13 hour adventure with 15 friends. And we just had ourselves like a hell of a time. And to be able to look and see like, hey, I came from there and I ran, just ran back and have that feeling of like, I just did that. You yeah. can't, you can't choose to do that tomorrow and go do it. Yeah. So these adventures are the product of a lot of work and a lot of consistency. And I just love that like celebration of progress and, and celebration of work. Yeah. When you were talking, it kind of reminds me of, um, I recently read the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. And it's all about what you talk about, the idea mm -hmm. of just showing up and building consistent habits and not being so attached to the results over consistently showing up. Right. You know, I think too, um, you know, for someone listening who's never run a marathon and maybe wants to, but they can't imagine themselves doing it. Do you find that that showing up um, idea is part of training if you've never run a marathon? Totally. I mean, when you sign up for a marathon, you shouldn't be able to run a marathon if you've never run one before. That's yeah. the point. The whole point of training is to get to a place you've never been before. When yeah. I signed up, to, or when I committed to run the, in the Grand Canyon, I said, I'm going to do rim to rim, which is 21 miles. And the, and I was like, wait a minute, I can do this today. Like I can run that distance today with 6,000 feet of gain and loss. I don't think that today I could do rim to rim to rim. So I should, I should commit to doing that. And so that was in, I don't know, February and we were doing it in October. And for me, it was, so that's 42 miles with 12,000 feet of gain and loss. And I had never done anything close to that. And it terrified me. Yeah. And the fact that it scared me versus, oh yeah, I can probably do rim to rim. I was like, what's the point? I'm not going for speed. So may as well go for distance and, and do something that scares me and pushes me like way out of that comfort zone. So for me, it was, it was the experience of I'm going to commit to something that I can't do right now. And if I put in the work, I will probably be able to do it. Um, and my first marathon was the same way. I was like, okay, obviously I've never done this before, but if I, if I stay consistent and do the work, then I should be able to execute on race day. And that, that feeling of running that first marathon or half marathon or 5k or whatever the distance is, um, was fantastic. I mean, the, the, mar the that first marathon finish line felt unlike anything else because it was like the product of thousands of miles, not just 26.2 miles. Right. And so that's the, that's the part that I love so much. And the other thing with running is like so many of us live comfortably and, I mean that in all relative terms, like most of us, and I'm guessing most of the people listening to this podcast, like 
have a roof over their head and they know where they're going to eat dinner tonight. And um, they probably have some pretty stable relationships and, and all things considered life is easy. We have our challenges, whatever, but we live fairly predictable and comfortable lives. Running allows you to get uncomfortable and experience hardship that makes everything else seem easier. So when you have those difficult conversations with your partner or your boss or your friend or whatever, like you can, you can work that problem and you can go into it knowing, Hey, I can do hard things and, and be stronger as a result of it. Whereas I don't know, 90% of Americans don't experience much variability day to day. Mm -hmm. And, and so the variability of running, whether you have some easy days, some hard days, some good days, some bad days, I think we could all use a little more discomfort in our lives. And obviously this comes from a place of like extreme privilege. Like I have a house, I have a car, yeah. like all these things. So that's the context where I'm making this point. It's mm -hmm. not like, you know, all the other things going on. Nobody has an easy life, but right. I think that we should all voluntarily introduce a little more discomfort so that we're more adequately prepared for the things that we can't control. Yeah. And isn't too, do you find that in that discomfort is, is really where exponential growth happens versus. In totally. It's the only place where growth happens. Yeah. Yeah. I always think of that to kind of frame this in the context of yoga teaching and yoga teachers. And I always um, think about that when I talk to yoga teachers in the context of what I do training, uh, teaching them anatomy. And if I'm doing it while they're also in their initial training phase, they'll say things to me like, um, this is so hard to learn and there's so much to learn. And, you know, I think similar to what you're saying, that mindset of it's so hard and hard equals bad versus, wow, this is so amazing that I have an opportunity to learn this. And even if I just think about it on the level of my brain is getting stronger, literally building new neural pathways because I'm taking in new information and retaining it. But beyond that, of course, I volunteer for this. I'm looking, right. you know, so there's always a reframe that hits on what you're talking about, right? Well, that's the thing. Context is everything. So I was, I was saying I, I paced my friend in this hundred mile race over the weekend and I started running with her when she was, 22 hours into her run wow and she so the race started at 8 a.m consecutive hours the race started at 8 a.m on friday and i started running with her about 6 a.m on saturday and by about 10 or 11 a.m things started to get really really uncomfortable for her and my job was to make sure she kept moving and kept eating and drinking and stayed motivated blah 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 and I kept reminding her, I was like, Kelly, you signed up for this. You chose to do this. Why did you choose to do this? And so when, when you're in these voluntarily hard things and you get through them or you go further than you think you can go, everything else in the future gets easier because – so how do you get better, right? Stress, recover, growth. So that's true mentally, that's true physically. And so in that moment, she hit her, she very much so hit her limit, call it 10 a.m. I was like, 
okay, what are you going to do? You're going to stop here and get airlifted out by a helicopter? Or are we going to get up this mountain, then get down the mountain? Yeah. We stopped running at 2 p.m. So this was 10 a.m. She had four more hours to go. I was like, what are you going to do? Are you going to sit here forever and you live here now? Or are we going to keep moving? Yeah. And at that point, it's like the only option is forward progress, yeah. forward movement. Right. And so, again, she hit her limit and then went further. So was it not her limit? I don't know. But, yeah. But, yeah. but if you reflect on that or if she reflects on that, she'll look back and say, wow, I didn't want to take another single step in the morning. And I ran into the afternoon. Right. So, so the next time something hard comes up, it's like, okay, that's hard, but I can do hard things. And that's the piece that, again, when I say people should introduce discomfort into their life, mm-hmm. like you take that lesson and apply it to anything. And so I was doing an interview a few weeks ago and the interviewer asked, do, do any of your lessons apply from running into life? And I said, do any of them not? <laughs> and they all do. It's just a microcosm. Um, I was doing a podcast with a, with a friend, KK Fisher. She runs 250 mile races and run is in air quotes because you can't run that far. You can hike and walk and whatever. She travels 250 miles or, or so in one go. And she said her, her context around it is running is a sandbox where if you make a mistake, it's okay. You probably won't die. And I mean, there needs to be a massive, you know, um, asterisk on that when when you're running for 250 miles at one go. But anyway, you, you probably won't die and you can generally come back from any mistake that's made, particularly in a 5k or half marathon or marathon or whatever. Um, these little mistakes aren't going to you know, end a relationship or get you fired or whatever. So it gives you room to experiment in, in building confidence and building strength in ways where the, the negative implications are, are like, it doesn't matter. Nobody cares if you finish your race or if you, if you win the race or whatever, it's like, all of that is the meaning that you apply to it and how you respond to it. Whereas outside of this safe little sandbox if you make a mistake there are ramifications and there are um, consequences which is not to say you shouldn't take risks but the the like risk taking muscle can be built in running i've my coach uses a phrase shoot your shot i've shot my shot so many times outside of running with like asking someone out or going on a date or like doing something at work um, so many times and, and failed so many times and gotten rejected so many times. Um, I just don't care. And it's, it's like, I was talking with a friend about it yesterday, like shots on goal. You just keep shooting and all you need is one or two or whatever the, whatever the objective is. And previously I would have been, you know, terrified with rejection and failure and all these things. But it's this, like you keep putting yourself out there and you're, you're flexing and sharpening that muscle that allows you to try. Like I'm having a terrible time trying to date (laughs) and, and I just like keep putting myself out there and I keep getting rejected and I keep failing at like the, like objective 
measure of what would success look like. And I don't know, a few years ago, this would have like crushed me, but um, I, it's, it's a challenge. It's a, it's a game. It's a, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And um, I do think when you look at it from that numbers perspective, I think there is a level of numbers that factors into something like dating because it's a matter of matching similarities and interests right. with someone. And there is a aspect to it that involves like you have to just keep going out and meeting people versus right. like focusing on the rejection aspect. It's just like, or even right. from sales, you can think of the same metaphor in terms of sales. It's not getting, but it's true with anything. Yeah. It's true with anything. I tweeted, I tweeted the other day. I'd rather, I'd rather get a no than wonder what if again, oh, it totally. was like very specific to dating, totally. but, but very much applies to everything in life. Like, wouldn't you rather know that something isn't going to happen than wonder right. if it is going to happen? So that's right. like the context that I've been taking. Oh, I wonder if I can run a 245. I wonder if she'll say, yes, let's go out. I wonder if, you know, that proposal that I sent to that prospect is, you know, if, if we're going to move forward with that. Whereas a few years ago, I would just, I was so scared of rejection and so scared of like getting to know there's a, there's a book called getting to yes. I feel like I'm going to write the book getting to know <laughs> it's like a, a no is more valuable than a maybe or, yeah. or, or wondering. Well, I think I I've heard in a couple of studies I've done on neuroscience, that whole process of saying no um, in any context requires significant brain power on the part of the person and so sometimes it's just easier to kind of, I think about that when I talk to yoga teachers about my signature program and many of them, when they enroll, will tell me when they enroll, I've been toying around with enrolling in your program for a year and a half. And, you know, those are the folks that reach out to me and talk to me, but they can't get themselves to the point where they can say yes, but they don't say no. So they kind of languish in this indecision mode. And, um, I think it does take a certain amount of brain power to get to the point where you at least for whatever the scenario is say no. And maybe you'll say no, not right now, but that's better than saying nothing, but it takes brain power to do it. Agreed. Yeah. I was thinking too, when you talked about limits, um, I remember when I was training for my first marathon, they said, um, run farther than 26.2 so that you mentally get past that, which I never did. Uh, in my training. And I kind of wished I had, because there was that mental block that when I got to 26.2, I thought I physically couldn't run another step, but I bet I could have. And I think it would have been an advantage to have physically banked 27, 28 miles, because then on the day of, it would have been mentally. Do you find that limit pushing, like, especially with your friend even, is part of that mental challenge you're trying to get past? So I'd caveat the, that conversation with, unless you're running a 245 marathon or a 230 marathon, I don't recommend getting anywhere close to the marathon distance in training. I don't think most people should run long runs more than two and a half hours, just based on like what happens to the body when you're running yeah. on the road for that long. Um I, I might do it in this buildup. Like I'm running Boston as like a long run for... <laughs> yeah, I am. And so like, that'll be, it'll, it's intending to be less than three hours. 
and I very rarely go beyond two and a half in, in road training, but trail training, I'll see four five, six hours. Um, I do think that the intentionality of exploring limits is useful. I, I call it going to the well and like digging deeper than you normally do. Mm-hmm. The caveat is it's, when you do this, you're generally like dipping into some reserves physically that you can't do regularly. So the point of training is to just go far enough that you're not getting too far. But every so often, I think it's useful to, to get there, to explore there. So I work with a coach and sometimes he'll tell me like, you can, you can open it up or you can, you know, go to the well, or you can um, rip it on on this one or push. But that's done very carefully with the necessity of recovery afterwards, because let's say you do go to the well, or you do push past your limit. There's a physiological experience that you need to recover from. So um, I mean, if you're, you know, running for two hours, you're not going to like mentally drain yourself and and come out of it the other side like a changed person and need you know a week of recovery maybe you do i don't know but um i think in a race i mean that's the whole reason that like i don't think most people should run more than two marathons in a year for example or Mm -hmm. even one marathon um i've gotten to a point where like i built up enough miles that i think i can And I'll use blood analysis to make sure I'm recovering properly and not doing anything stupid. But um, again, I, I think that the dipping into the well is something special and it's, it, you can't really plan for it. And so when it happens, it happens like next week, I have a workout that's, three, three different time-based intervals. So six, six by something, five by something, four by something, and then a tempo at the end. And the, the goal of the tempo instruction is survive. Mm-hmm. So this is an example where I will be dipping into the well and I will be going peering around the corner and saying, Oh, what happens when we exceed the limit of what I can do or what I normally do? Um, and then I'll be very particular with recovery, both mentally and physically and eat enough and sleep enough and drink enough, all that stuff. But, um, that's an example of like a forced Mm. limit expansion Mm -hmm. and I get there gradually today. I basically did a majority of that work that I'll do next week. And next week I'll add the tempo onto what I did today. Mm -hmm. And so it's this it's this long-term buildup of we're doing something hard the next week that hard thing is a little less hard so let's add more to it and then do it again and then do it faster and then add more to it and then recover yeah i think about that just to kind of again i i look for opportunities when we're chatting here to make some parallels to the yoga especially the the topic of anatomy because again so many teachers are like it's so hard to learn but when you chunk it out, just like training, when you chunk it out, you go through the process, you follow the steps 
and it makes it easier because you're not just willy nilly going all over the place. And I think for training for anything, that's got to be the foundational approach to healthy training where you'll have better success, right? Cause you're not just doing 20 miles one day and 10 miles another day, unless there's some logic underpinning that. Right. For sure. Um, all right. So let me, um, you know, there's, there's one question that I have written here that you kind of just touched on and maybe you could just kind of, especially for someone listening who doesn't really do a lot of long distance running, similar to what you were just saying in terms of, you know, next week, when you take on this new challenge, you're physically going to be pushing yourself. Um, can you just share a little bit about, cause again, we can make the connection to anything from the running experience. So it's not just to hear you talk about it and have someone be listening and saying, oh, well, that doesn't apply to me because I'm never going to run right. more than five miles. So I'm just curious in your past experience, when you've hit those new milestones and, and you kind of know when you're starting the workout, like, or even the race, this is going to potentially push me to a new level. How do you, how do you, what's happening in those moments yeah like what's like bring us into that mind space when you're in those moments like even for your friend you were witnessing it from the outside but you weren't inside her head but now you're you inside your body and your head in in that moment she was in in whatever scenario you're doing so what's going on there so i like to i like to frame it with with the context of pressure as a privilege so I spent two months in Breckenridge, Colorado, which is at 10,000 feet. And most of my runs would go to 10,000 feet or above. So anybody who's been at higher elevations or at elevation or more specifically higher elevations knows that it's very hard to do anything aerobic or anything period when you're above seven or 8,000 feet. So I'm going on these runs in the winter and I, I'm exhausted from just pulling my tights on and I'm going to go run 10 or 12 miles. So part of it is expecting that it's going to be uncomfortable. And then the, those runs in particular, like I was doing hill workouts and my coach said, if you do a hill workout at 10,000 feet, everything else becomes easy because there's just like a feeling of like running out of gas or like the way I explained it is one day I was doing hill reps and I just ran out of turnover and my legs just couldn't churn because I, I was so spent. I was doing a one, two, three, two, one minute ladder of running uphill hard for a minute, then back down, then uphill hard for two minutes, then back down. I ran out of turnover in the two minute section. And so I was like, what's about to happen when I try and do this for three minutes? And it was like really, really, really hard. And those three minutes felt really long. So I went into that thinking about how cool is it that like I get to run to my limit, literally. I ran so hard that I couldn't run hard anymore. I couldn't run anymore. Yeah. And again, back to the like, we live so comfortably. We live um, in this way that we don't, we don't experience hard things. So how cool is it that we get to choose to do hard things? 
and then other hard things don't become so hard. So for me, it's approaching, it's approaching it with the context of, again, I'm choosing to do this. I'm paying someone to tell me to do this. And then I'm, I'm actively doing something that's uncomfortable. I did a hill workout in Boulder a couple of weeks ago. It was another like six by two minute hills or something like that. Um, or no, it might've been, a, it might've been that ladder. It was one, two, three, two, one again. And same deal. Like in the two minute section, I was like, this is freaking hard. Um, I was running for anyone who's listening, who's been to Boulder, you know, Mount Sanitas, I was running the Sanitas Valley trail. So you're cutting in between a mountain to your left and just like gorgeous trails to your right. And I'm running up this hill. It's steep. And I'm exhausted and it's hard and I'm like sucking wind. I'm like, so gratitude is a big component of how I experience the world and how I appreciate things that I have or get to do um, more emphasis on get to do versus have. And in that moment, I was, <laughs> I was actually talking to my phone on the way down and like posting on Instagram. I was like, what happened? I, I said, this is what I was posing. I was like, what happens when things get hard? Where does your mind go? Well, mine just went to gratitude. And how cool is it that I get to be in this place and do these things amongst such cool people? And um, it, it helped me to be able to do it in that way and frame it within that context as I was running uphill at 5,000 feet, which is not fun or comfortable. Um, and so much of this is framed within the like the context of type two fun. It's like it's not fun in the moment, but yeah. it's fun. It's fun to look back and see what you what you did. And all of this like type two fun is a story. And it's all like this is what I find so valuable as a runner, like the stories that we tell. So I ran 13 percent of this hundred mile race with with my friend and. um. I forget where I was going with that. Oh yeah. And, and I saw, I, even I saw my own limits. I was like, I don't know that I can keep climbing up this hill. And I'm also afraid of heights. And so we're climbing this like Ridge at 12,000 feet. And I'm like, Kelly, there are very few people that I will do this for. Um, and I was like, I was trying to, trying to like, I wasn't sure what my exact intention was with saying that, but I was, I was trying to psych myself up a little bit. Like I'm very uncomfortable right now. I need you to know this and I need you to also like push past your own discomfort so that we can both get the hell out of here. <laughs> um, and, and so I think sometimes even acknowledging that discomfort or the fact that in this moment, you're not having fun, keep moving and it will be fun again. I think that's helpful too. Yeah, I think so many of the things, again, I've done a lot of deep diving into neuro-linguistic programming and neuroscience over the past two years. And so much of what you're talking about is rooted in neuroscience and just what exactly what you say, reframing. And again, I think that, that you can extract that technique and apply it to anything, whether you're a yoga teacher trying to learn anatomy, anatomy is a hard subject, whether you're a runner trying to conquer a new distance, you know, whatever it is. Um, so thank you for that. Cause I think there's so many nuggets that people can 
can take from that and apply. I think the languaging is also so important. I mean, when you're saying things like, I have to do this and I have to do that. When I do yoga teacher coaching, there's so much I pick up on when I listen to, I have to get through this. It's taking too long. Why is it taking too long for me to learn this? And all of that language adds additional weight onto anything you're trying to do. Um, okay, so let me, I think this would probably be, and I know you mentioned earlier um, when you were talking about your own training and you said, you know, um, I do a good job of in my recovery process, tracking things. And so I think that I was thinking when you said that, I didn't want to segue at that point, but I think now is a good time to segue into a little bit about what you do for work, because, you know, like I said, that was the catalyst to me reaching out to you. And then I also was like, oh God, I really want to do this deep dive into him and what he does from an athletic performance standpoint. Cause just as I expected, you totally got into all of these great topics that transcend just the physicality of running. So why don't you tell people a little bit about what you do for work and the company you work for? So I work for a company called Inside Tracker, and it's a personalized nutrition platform that's designed to help make better help you make better decisions, right? So when I joined, the context of the company was, let's help you be the best. And our context now is, let's help you be your best. And the way we frame that is, okay, you want to do, let's, let's take running or yoga. You want to do this for a long time, right? What's the best way to get better? You stay healthy. What's the best way to stay healthy? Give your body what it needs. What's the best way to do that? Understand it from a biochemical level, what you actually need. So our whole ethos, our whole, our whole platform is based around personalized actions around nutrition, supplementation, lifestyle, and sleep. So eat this food twice a week. Take a supplement in this dosage. Um, when I went to Western Colorado, I it's normally I, I use blue light blockers before bed, and this helps with sleep. And and so we have an integration with Garmin. So my Garmin tracks my sleep. I didn't bring the blue light blockers, and and our app said to me one morning, your REM sleep was lower than normal. Consider limiting screen time before bed or using blue light blockers because your quality has gone down. It's like wow it caught on that I stopped doing that because it impacted my sleep quality. So we're helping people make meaning out of blood, DNA, and wearable data and translating science into action. So your goal is to improve sleep. Your goal is to improve metabolic health. Whatever it is you want to do, we're going to tell you the three to five most efficient ways to achieve that through the core is blood data. So we use Quest Diagnostics. We send you to the lab. You bring a lab slip. It tells them what to do. Guidance comes back a week later. You can also add DNA information from something like 23andMe or Ancestry or our own DNA kit. That adds another layer of, of detail and integrity and basically helps helps with, with additional guidance on where to focus. And then the physio data, so sleep and resting heart rate and activity informs us about things that are changing on a daily basis and how you can get new 
guidance day to day versus waiting until you do another blood test. So at our core, it's all about personalization and understanding, okay, when you walk into a supermarket, what should you buy? And if you go into a restaurant, what's the best food on the menu for you? What are the things that your body needs and fill in the rest with, with fun. So I recently learned about the concept of intuitive eating, give your body what it needs. And then the rest sort of fill it in with fun foods or whatever. So it's always funny because I go out to eat with a lot of people and they're like, Oh, you're the blood guy. Why, why are you eating pizza and, and ice cream? I'm like, because I'm doing the basics and I'm giving my body what it needs and I can choose to fill in the rest with whatever I want. I'm not going to eat a pizza before I go for a run. I'm not going to eat ice cream before I go for a run, but I might eat a burrito post long run, or I might eat pizza and ice cream, you know, when I need some more calories in my, in my day, um, you know, weekends in particular, Wednesdays after workouts frozen pizzas are, are my friend these days because I'm always chasing that uh, caloric deficit or, or trying to avoid that caloric deficit. So these foods that, that um, society has deemed as like unhealthy, mm-hmm. I believe have a place in our, in our diet and can be a part of a healthy diet as long as you're getting the basics and giving your body what it needs. And by the way, my blood work is the best it's ever been while following this like loose approach to, to nutrition. So I'm again, there's oatmeal here in my in my smoothie, there are blueberries, there are hemp seeds, all of these things that like, I need to I need more fiber, I need more antioxidants. And I need more magnesium. So here's like my most nutrient dense meal of the day. And I know I'm getting like, it tells me eat oatmeal every day, eat blueberries, eat dark chocolate or hemp hearts or whatever. Mm -hmm. So on a daily basis, I know I'm giving my body what it needs. And around that I can choose whatever else I want to fill in the fill in the rest. Mm -hmm. Now you mentioned quest diagnostics and, you know, I want to just make this really understandable for the listeners in terms of what is, what is your program look like at the ground level? So is it that someone's going, like if someone signs up for the inside tracker, one of the options that you offer, they're going for blood work at a lab once a month or what does that look like? Yeah, we suggest up to quarterly. Um, our okay. average is twice a year. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea is that the blood doesn't change that dramatically more mm-hmm. than quarterly. Um, it depends. Like if your iron is low and you start supplementing iron, you should probably retest within 90 days uh, or 60 to 90 days just because of that iron turnover and and how it um, how it works but for the majority of people um, yeah every five six seven months is is perfect and again it's not just for performance we're looking at a pretty comprehensive panel related to cardiovascular health and just markers that are a little more advanced than what a standard physician panel would order um, or would include so that we can say, okay, if your goal is X, do Y. So you can pick one of a dozen goals. And the difference with what we do versus a physician test is A, it's more comprehensive. And B, it's going to tell you actually what to do based on what we deem to be your optimal zone. So 
when you go to your doctor and get a blood test, you're being compared to basically 95% of healthy people that exist. That's what a normal range is. So you and I have the same normal range. We're different genders. We're different ages. We're doing sports differently. All of these things that make us unique, it's not being taken into account. Mm. So what we do is take all that into account. So the most common example that, that female athletes would understand is probably iron levels. That's what I was so, right. So as a woman, you could have an iron level of 11 and your doctor would say, eh, it's a little low, but you're in the normal range because the normal range starts at 10. Now, if you're trying to run marathons with a ferritin level of 11, which is the storage form of iron, you're going to be exhausted and there's, there's nothing you can do about that besides increase the iron level. You can't push through it. You can't like, it's a physiological limitation that you'll have based on what's happening internally with a level that low. So again, a physician would say, you're normal. Come back next year. You're healthy. We would say your range probably starts at 40 or 60, depending on the volume of aerobic activity that you're, that you tell us you're doing. So you tell us about your activity level and your gender and ethnicity and all this stuff. And we frame the guidance and these ranges within that context. So we would say, sure, your level of 11 is normal, but you're probably pretty tired all the time. And so these people that go through life exhausted, they just think it's normal. And they just think that, oh, it's because I have kids and a job and blah, blah, blah. It's like, sure, that might be contributing to your stress, but there are things you can do from a physiological or biochemical level that will offset the fact that you don't have to be tired all the time. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to help people understand that you don't have to get worse as you get older. You can actually get better as you get older and you can get better within a year, within a six months, whatever, just by knowing what it is your body needs. And so many of us eat the same foods so frequently that it makes sense that we're going to be deficient in certain areas. 35% of our, of our customer base is deficient in vitamin D. Vitamin D is linked to every single function in the body for the most part. Sleep, mood, recovery, readiness to train, uh, cognitive ability, depression, all of these things. Yet 35% of people are going around with low levels of vitamin D. You can fix that for 10 cents a day. Do you want to feel better for 10 cents a day? That's possible. <laughs> so it's not to say, okay, everybody should take a vitamin D supplement. It's to say everybody should be aware of the gaps or the things that they're, they might be missing so that they can improve. For something like vitamin D, we see professional athletes with low levels of vitamin D. These are guys that, you know, they have $50 million contracts and, and all the resources in the world. And they're, and in baseball, they have Clean Athlete as the main sponsor. They have a great vitamin D supplement. And it's available for free and they're still low and, and they're like, Oh, I'm outside all the time. Of course, you know, of course my vitamin D levels should be fine. Well, it's not. <laughs> and it's, so it's crazy that like people think that they're doing all of the right things, with, but they just have these blinders on. They don't know, you don't know what you don't know. And so our mission is to empower people to know what they should know and do what they should do. Yeah, you know, there's so many themes when you're talking that are popping into my head. And, you know, I think access to healthcare is one theme. 
And I think also the theme of, is the healthcare that people access sufficient to meet their needs on an individualized basis? I mean, I was talking to my mom the other day and she had a new doctor and she's in her late seventies and her doctor had retired. And she said she couldn't believe that the doctor actually spoke with her throughout the exam and then afterwards and spent time with her. Her other doctor that she'd had for 50 years never did that. And that's just a small example of quality of healthcare. And so I know some people listening are gonna think, well, I get my blood checked when I go for my annual physical. Um, I've certainly had my blood checked in my annual physical, but the only response I've ever gotten, and I ask a ton of questions of my physicians, is exactly what you said. Everything looks normal. You're good till next year. And there was no questioning of what your lifestyle habits are, what your training habits are, what your longevity concerns are, what you feel in your body. And all of what you're talking about, it really makes me feel like this level of analysis and implementation suggestions should be a standard for people. Totally. The problem is we're dealing with sick care in our medical system. Of course. That's why I say overarching theme. Yeah. Nobody is incentivized to help you drop your glucose levels or, or they're actually incentivized to sell you a statin or sell you something that will decrease your cholesterol via medicine versus oatmeal. Um, so the, the incentive structure is in the healthcare system mismatched with what's good for population health. It's good for the people who make money when they sell you something. We're a for-profit company, but we're, we're incentivized to help you achieve better outcomes, right? If you don't improve and you're paying us, you're not going to keep paying us. If you improve you're going to keep wanting to test and see that you're continuing to improve. So with us, our incentives are in line with our customers in that the better experience you have, the better it is for us. And the better it is for us, the better it is for you. That, that, that dynamic does not exist within traditional medicine or healthcare where actually the worse you are, the better it is for, for insurance company, the worse you are, the better it is for, pharmaceuticals and the people who make money to help help in air quotes help you get better Mm. um if every american ate oatmeal daily the the world would be a better place right 82 percent of americans have compromised glucose levels it's the single biggest factor when it comes to mortality and longevity our data shows that adding oatmeal into your routine on a daily basis is the single most effective thing that any human can do. We say that statistically, it doesn't mean that this is the right intervention for you. I'm just saying that given our data, it's the most likely to be effective for the most number of people. So we're able to look at these things that like people tell us what they're doing. We have baseline and follow-up tests, things like that. So for men that are listening, that that recommendation of eat nuts daily, that's the strongest one for men. It impacts testosterone and cholesterol and all of these things related to mood and power and sleep and stress and libido and like everything that we all care about. Um, And so again, we don't sell the supplements. We don't sell the food. We sell the outcome. The outcome is we want you to improve. We want you to feel better. How do you do that? Well, eat fish twice a week, take a magnesium supplement and eat oatmeal daily. Like that's what I need to do. Um, and 
that's unique to me. And so again, our mission is to drive that personalization and say, okay, Karen, what you need to take is or eat is way different than what I need. We're two very different people. Well, how do we find out what we need? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything you're saying and I totally see the value. I think though, one of the things that comes to mind is, I mean, even when you think about how people approach their general healthcare, do they stay up? Like I had my teeth cleaned yesterday. I get my teeth cleaned twice a year. A lot of people get their teeth cleaned once a year. Dental health is overall health. I'm not saying I'm the model, but just all of the things that you do to keep up with your healthcare um, in terms of preventative testing. And I look at your offering. I mean, do you find that most of the people that are signing up for your program um, are really tuned in to preventative health as a theme, or do you have some people that come to you and they're kind of at a last resort type scenario? Both and, and everything I'm in between. In the light. Yeah, both and everything in between. Mm -hmm. it, we, we have plenty of people who are very motivated and plenty of people who have experienced something and they need to fix it. And then we have other people who have no idea what they're doing and they just want to be told what to do. Right, right. Yeah, I'm thinking too, you know, I know for a lot of people in the yoga community, supplements are definitely part of, you know, what they do uh, in the health and wellness area of their life. And I sometimes feel like, you know, like all you have to do is go into Whole Foods and see the entire aisle of supplements and it's right. completely overwhelming. And I feel like most people are just flying blind to a certain extent when they're taking supplements, let alone the fact that supplements as an industry is not regulated, not that regulation equals quality, but right. we're already in an unregulated area. So it sounds like you know, when you talk about take magnesium, that falls into the category of supplementation versus medication. And what I really love about what you're saying is you're not just taking a supplement and flying blind, even if you know magnesium has this benefit. So can you talk a little bit about that, especially from the aspect of taking supplements and how Inside Tracker? kind of guides you as to what you should be taking vitamin D or whatever. Yes. Um, so a lot of people are just supplementing for supplement sake. They've maybe heard that um, they should take this. And so they take it and at best it's expensive urine and at worst it's toxicity. Um, the, the side effects of having high iron are similar to having low iron except having high iron is toxic and can be fatal. And so if you're adding more iron on top of an already elevated level that's causing fatigue, you're just gonna get more fatigued and it could be fatal. Um, so I don't think that supplementation should happen outside of uh, blood-driven guidance. Now, many of these supplements are fat soluble. So you look at something like vitamin D. If you take a lot of vitamin D, Nothing bad is going to happen, really. Um, but that's not true with with something like iron or like any of those other things that you might see in the in the supplement aisle. Mm. Yeah. Um, would you say that, like, if you were to go to your primary care doctor once a quarter and just get standard blood work, that they can pick up on? Oh, uh, yeah. That they can pick up on 
if you're taking too much of something or do you need to go to like, probably not. They're just going to look at, you know, glucose and cholesterol and make sure that, you know, you're below a hundred on glucose. Your A1C is, you know, below six and your cholesterol is below 200. Um, but any of those numbers are too high. Um, and, but that's the barometer. That's like, okay, you're, it's not a problem until it's a problem, but you could be a margin of error below that point and it's fine. Whereas then a year later, you're not fine and you're 10% above or 20% above. Um, so yeah, the physician test is, is not enough. Kind of the bare minimum. The bare minimum to make sure you're, you're not, you know, going to die soon. Right. And again, I'm like, I'm not, saying this to bash on physicians no. i think it's a very essential piece of the of the medical i'm sure culture. some of them would say themselves we're doing the right. best again with well that's that's the thing they're not trained in nutrition and people ask them about nutrition and they don't really know what they don't know but right. they're being asked to be a resource and they're not the best resource you should speak with a dietitian you should speak with you know something like that Right. Right. So can you tell people listening who are like, this sounds amazing, or even just, you know, kind of intrigued, how do they check it out? What you have to offer? So we're available at insidetracker.com. Um, we have a chat on the site where you can ask questions. You can call us often. I pick up, um, or message me on social JW Levitt on Instagram, pretty responsive. Um, and yeah, we'd love love to help. Yeah. I mean, I think one more thing before we wrap up here that I want to just give you an opportunity to speak to, especially because, you know, I know the listeners of my podcast, there's a wide range of ages. And so I don't want people listening to this to think, oh, this is just something for younger people who are endurance athletes or professional athletes. So can you talk a little bit about the longevity focus and even maybe that fun thing about chronological age versus yeah so the the main goal of the company wasn't to help elite athletes squeeze out another one percent it was to help all humans improve life and longevity through this personalized approach and so the the origin of the company was from our founder gil blander who had a death in the family when he was nine he said i want to live forever and this is sort of his project to understand how to extend lifespan so while if you go on our Instagram or you go on our website, it looks like a lot of young athletic people. Um, we have customers that are 80, 90, 100 years old, and they wow. are doing it because they want to improve life and they want to add more life to their years. So I joined the company seven years ago and I said, okay, that's great, but athletes need this, want this, and will pay for this. And so we have two very distinct audiences with some overlap. Uh, we call it the endurance crowd or the performance crowd. So there's a goal in mind. They want to get better. They aspire to run longer or train better or whatever. Or life performers, or people who 60, 70, 80 years old, 30 years old, whatever, um, they want to just feel better. And they want to understand how do I feel better? Maybe they have kids and they you know, are exhausted all the time and they want to be able to dance at their kid's wedding. Like we always ask, why did you sign up for Inside Tracker? And the number of people that say, so I can dance at my kid's wedding, it's insane. There are so many people who say this uh, or to be able to pick up my grandchildren, um, things like that, where 
yeah, you do have control over these things. You don't have to just succumb to the fact, oh, I'm getting older. Um, I'm just going to regress and, and then die. Um, you could actually stay in control in some capacity. And so we're here to give you that control and understand what do you do and how do you stay in control? You have that agency. Awesome. I love that. And that's certainly, you think about when someone says that, it certainly gives you a reframe into what's really important in life. Right. Exactly. Right. I love it. Well, thank you so much. This has been so interesting as I knew it would. And I really appreciate your time. And I know people are going to just love hearing about not only you, but Inside Tracker. I think it's a, an extremely valuable offering to people and, and certainly focuses them on proactive, you know, efforts to take care of themselves. For sure. Thank you so much and go out there and keep crushing it on the, on the trails and on the pavement. And I'll be following along on the social there. Sounds like a plan. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Hi, everybody. Karen Fabian here. And thank you so much for listening to that episode. Before you hang up, before you disconnect and move on with your day, I just want to let you know, if you're like a lot of the yoga teachers that I talk to, you're looking for ways to break down anatomy into its key parts so that you've got an organized approach for your studying. Well, I'm going to tell you an easy way that you can get hold, get a hold of the topics that you should be studying. And they're all reviewed in my Learn Anatomy Challenge. This is a free video series that you can access online, watch the videos, download the guide that goes with it, and you'll essentially have an outline to shape the studying that you're doing because it takes the broad subject of anatomy and breaks it down into just the key topics that you need to know. So in order to get to the Learn Anatomy Challenge free video series, you're gonna need to go to the special URL, the special webpage that holds these videos. So if you're driving right now, you're probably not gonna be able to obviously write this down. If you're able to write this down, I want you to just grab a pen and a piece of paper and just write down this URL. You can also send me a direct message on Instagram and I'll send you the link directly. If you're looking for the URL, you wanna just go to it yourself. Uh, I'm gonna give it to you right now. It is barebonesyoga.lpages.co forward slash learn anatomy challenge forward slash. And in between the words, learn anatomy challenge are hyphens. So it's learn hyphen anatomy hyphen challenge, and then forward slash. So again, I'll just read you the URL barebonesyoga.lpages.co forward slash learn hyphen anatomy hyphen challenge forward slash. So that's the webpage that holds all of these videos. There's nine of them. Uh, and you can go through those and you can take notes. You can print out the uh, guide that goes with it. That would be uh, that will be a great companion guide to have in front of you as you're going through these videos. So again, if you have any trouble getting to it, just send me a direct message on Instagram and I'm happy to send you the link directly. Don't be on your own trying to study anatomy. Use this free video series to hone in on just the topics that you need to know. Good luck.